0: That's a nice mug. Where'd you get that?
1: It is. If you remember um, what I told you in the first episode, I was cycling across Europe with my friend, college friend Tony, almost 40 years ago. And because I was extremely homesick, I abandoned him in a, in a place called Sarbourg in France. And the one nice memory or if i can call it souvenir that i have is that very last night with tony we were just spontaneously invited into some locals home for dinner and um someone in the family did pottery and they gave me this uh this mug i think it's actually quite hideous i don't like the design at all (laughs) but um i love it because as i said it's the the one yeah nice memory I have of, of that of that trip.
0: I'm Susan Masika and this is The Swiss Connection a Swiss Info production. Welcome back to our series about nostalgia. Let's return to Dale's home to continue our conversation about Tony, a bike trip gone wrong and how all of that led to a deep dive on nostalgia. I really like how that mug is a
1: a happy reminder of that awkward trip you took with Tony. And there's another connection. I found out that if I went back far enough in history in the same place that I became homesick. Centuries earlier, Swiss soldiers had become homesick and they inspired this young medical student to study why they were becoming homesick. And it was that medical student, Johannes Hofer, who decided to rename homesickness Nostalgia.
0: Can you tell me more about then these men that he was researching, the soldiers that he was using for his case studies? Who were they?
1: That's exactly what I wanted to know, because uh, as you asked me earlier, difficult to imagine them becoming actually homesick, you know, these tough men from the mountains. So I actually found a soldier who was 21 at the time, exactly the same age I was when I was homesick.
0: Who was he? What, What was he like? What was his backstory?
1: You won't believe it, but he lived very close to where we're sitting right now. But I have to confess... I didn't find him but I did meet the man who did find him and he lives so close to here I just had to go and see him. I've just arrived in Reed. It's on the north shore of, of Lake Greens and it's absolutely a gorgeous day. The sun reflecting off the turquoise waters of Lake Greens. It goes literally from the lake shore just straight up to I don't know 2,000 meters that's it's so about 6,000 feet. It's really sheer, really. A lot of exposed rock up there. I now have to walk down and find Christoph Studer's place.
2: My name is Christoph Studer.
3: I live in Niederried.
1: And you've got the most amazing view looking out the window.
3: Yes, the property is directly on the shore of Lake Breeds. It's wonderful when the weather's nice, but if there's a big storm, the house is wet from top to bottom.
1: Christoph Studer is retired, but he was an electrical engineer and worked for a Swiss company making weapon systems. When the German army bought one of the systems for a tank... He moved to Germany on contract to service the system. He saw himself, half-jokingly, as a modern Swiss mercenary. Once he returned to Switzerland and eventually retired, he volunteered to write the local village history, which included a long chapter about its mercenary history. Well, centuries ago, the villagers were very poor, and often the men had little choice but to sell their services as soldiers for hire. The Swiss states at the time had agreements with foreign powers, like France and other European states, to provide them with mercenaries.
2: There
3: were the officers who came round to the pubs and eyed up the men they thought might be useful and made sure they were given enough wine to make it easier to convince them to sign up. And from that moment on, they didn't have a choice.
2: How
1: did these nine men travel? How did they leave? Did they leave here by foot or did they hop on a boat out here in the lake?
3: They went on a boat which could transport up to 10 tonnes. We
2: had a
3: There were also rafts taking them to Bern.
2: They were welcome on
3: board since they could do the paddling. From Bern they could follow the rivers all the way to Rotterdam.
1: Of the many soldiers who must have left on these boats, Christoph Studer was able to find the names of nine men. They're listed in a registry from the year sixteen ninety. He calls up an image of the registry on his computer screen for me to see. I want to find the entry for one particular man, a twenty-one-year-old. And here, when I read down from number one, also the Eshti Ish. Uh, so there's Hans Heger from Brians. He's twenty-seven years old. Then we have Klaus Ab Eglin from Iseltwald. Uh, he's quite an older man, forty-two. Peter Ringenberg, he's 26. Christian Neuffer, he's uh, a, a, a marksman, he's 26. Yegi Studer from Niederb. Then we have number six, Bingo. This is the man I was looking for. Yeah. Peter, Peter Michael Peter, Peter Michael von Ringenberg. So the next village, 21 years old, and he was a ziemlicher yeah. länge und guter Mien. Recht gute Grosse,
2: also recht gross, recht lang and heißt
1: So Peter Michael from Ringenberg was 21 years old and he was quite tall and in good health. Yeah, ja, and that's why I was so fascinated because when I was homesick, I was 21 Den years old. Well the Gebots Radu
2: first Trinkenbagh 1672 and here must repay er 1669
1: sein. So he was born too early, be, uh, well the, the church registers for baptisms began after he was born, so he's not anywhere to be found in the church reg- in the church books which is a real shame. So what do we know about Pete, uh, Peter Michael? Was was wüsst du mir über Peter Peter Michael? Nüt. Nothing. Es geht dort bei 20, da
2: du die Kocher rot und nach draußen lässt, gibt's 20, 30 Peter Michu.
1: Der ist dreijährig gestorben über Fluus geht. So, the der different Peter Michael's, Peter Michaels, they some died when they were very young, they fell from the, the walls of the castle to their death, they drowned in the lake right outside the you know, close here that we can see from this window. And Peter Michael, the twenty one year old who went to to fight as a mercenary. Do we know anything about him? Yes.
2: <laughs> so, it's like reading, reading the tea leaves. <laughs> Baptism,
3: burials, but not those who committed suicide.
2: Doch No
3: mercenaries, unless a priest, say from England wrote a death certificate and sent it to Rinkenberg.
2: Then Then you have marriages. Baptism, death and marriages.
3: The
2: death
1: of the soldiers, their deaths were not registered except for these very exceptional circumstances.
3: We knew who left and who came back. And those who didn't come back were just gone forever and ever. If you can imagine a battlefield, there were thousands fighting. And those injured and left on the battlefield were given a coup de
2: grace, And they weren't
3: registered. The corpses were robbed of valuables. Eventually what was left was piled up and the land returned to be
2: ploughed.
0: And can we assume that the
1: 21-year-old Peter died on the battlefield? He may have. He may not have. As Christoph Studer says, we know nothing about his fate. He may have run away, having heard about the uh, you know, how horrible it must have been uh, on the battlefield. Or he may have become homesick like I did. Um, I didn't die. We still know what, uh, what's happened to me. Um, yeah, it's really difficult to say. What we do know is it would have taken him several days just to reach Basel, even though he was um, going down the rivers on, uh, on a small boat, probably. And by the time he got to Basel, he probably knew that the battlefields weren't too far off. And he might have been nervous about that and probably
0: already a bit tired. But it's easy for us to get there. I love going to Basel for a day trip. What do you think it was like there 300 years ago?
1: Well, it had a large immigrant population, um, which wasn't usual for the time, uh, at least in, in Switzerland. And um, it did a very vibrant trade because, of course, that's where the Rhine really widens out. And then, as now, a lot of the trade happens, um, happens on the river. Uh, he would probably seen more boats than he'd ever seen in his life. He probably saw large markets of the kind he'd never seen before with... Lots of different, uh, the, you know, the way people were dressed was probably very different.
0: Do, do you think he might already have been homesick by the time he arrived in Basel?
1: Well, for my story, I'd like to say that he, that he, that he was or he would soon would be. But of course, it's, uh, it's really hard to say. What I think we can say, he was probably thrown off balance by how different everything was. He was probably uh, hearing strange languages for the first time in his life and, and dialects. I think that would have been really off-putting. And it can cause homesickness, and um, also something that may have happened to him even before he got to Basel. He may have heard, or he may himself have decided to sing or hum the Kuhrion. And essentially, it's this um, alpine hymn that was sung by the um, the alpine herdsmen. Kurayan is the German term for this
0: song. In French, it's called le rond de vache. It's something the herdsmen would sing when it was time to bring the cattle home, while counting the individual animals and praising, or praying for, their good fortune.
1: And it was um, considered by the um, the officers in the various uh, armies that it was actually dangerous because it could really make Swiss soldiers homesick for the Alps. You've heard of Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Mm -hmm, the famous philosopher, thinker. Um, He was really um, one of the most uh, important uh, writers during the the Enlightenment. He even wrote about it. The mercenaries who sang it dissolved in tears, deserted,
4: or were left heartbroken so powerfully did the song arouse in them the ardent desire to see their homeland once more.
1: The power of music, so yeah, maybe he he did hear it. Most probably. How could he not have heard it? Um, He and all the other men that he was with, uh, or at least many of them, came from the mountains. It was quite common then to uh, to herd cattle. So they were very familiar with it, and most likely, um, if they didn't hum it while they were awake, they were probably hearing it in their sleep.
0: Okay, so we've got Peter then humming this dangerous song in his sleep at risk of becoming more homesick. And then we have to remember, too, that in the same area, we had this medical student, Johannes Hofer, who was also in Basel. Was this at the same time? Could it be that Peter was one of the soldiers that he examined?
1: Probably not, because Hofer had actually finished his dissertation and had it published two years before um, Peter arrived But he would have known about the Kudayan as part of his research. The question that I had, what else did he know? And that's why I went to Basel to find out. Here I am in front of the University of Basel. And uh, there's a plaque on the wall beside the door which says it's the old university. And it was uh, founded in 1460, Um, granted Rights to be a university by the Pope. This is where Johannes Holfer would have studied. Steps lead down to a little garden covered with small stones. And the university was built right on the banks of the Rhine. It's a beautiful setting. So it was in this building here that Holfer. Would have studied. It's where he likely would have taken part in dissections of, of humans, came to his various understandings, or what could have led him to his uh, theory on nostalgia or homesickness. But his dissertation hasn't been preserved here. It's about a ten or fifteen-minute walk from here um, in the university library. So let's uh, let's go there and have a look. See if I can find the book. This is the special collections reading room. And because of the uh, limited number of uh, places and social distancing rules, I have to ring the bell for them to let me in. It's a long way down. Guten Tag. Sprechen English? Yes. I ordered the um, dissertation of Johannes Hofer. Yes. But what's your name? Bechtel. B-E-C-H-T-E-L. It's it's ah, it's already there. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a fascinating collection of medical dissertations, which also includes... Dissertations on hypochondria, um, palpitations of the heart, saliva, fractures of the bones, qatar, and uh, nephrology, which is um, you know the diseases affecting the kidneys. Quite a fascinating collection. So here's Holfers' dissertation, and uh, uh, I have to find the English translation. Yes, of course. <laughs> So it is his medical dissertation, according to the English translation that I've found from the 1930s. On the first page, he clearly expresses his doubts when I read here about uh, what he would describe as nostalgia. He writes, when I contemplated with attentive mind the incomprehensible variety of medical affairs, I hung back uncertainly indeed, as to whether I should select material worth spreading abroad, or whether I should air disputatious arguments merely for the sake of an exercise. Well, he's certainly unsure of himself.
4: There came to my mind the stories of certain youths, that unless they had been brought back to their native land, whether in a fever or consumed by the wasting disease, they had met their last day on foreign shores. Hence, I judged that this disease deserved to be described and expounded more fully. The very name presents itself a consideration before all things, which indeed the gifted Helvetians have introduced not long since into their vernacular language. "'chosen from the grief for the lost charm of the native land, "'which they called Das Heimweh, "'just as those stricken with this disease grieve. "'However, it lacks a particular name in medicine, "'because from no doctor thus far "'had I learned that it was observed properly "'or explained carefully. "'Nor in truth deliberating on a name "'did a more suitable one occur to me "'defining the thing to be explained "'more concisely than the word nostalgia.' Greek in origin, and indeed composed of two sounds, the one of which is nostos, return to the native land. The other, algos, signifies suffering or grief. So that thus far, it is possible from the force of the sound nostalgia to define the sad mood originating from the desire for the return to one's native
1: land. When I move on to part seven. He tries explaining what's going on in a homesick person's brain, or a nostalgic person's brain, as the case may be. I consider the nearest
4: to be the quite continuous vibration of animal spirits through those fibres of the middle brain in which impressed traces of ideas of the fatherland still cling.
1: And um, he goes on in part nine to talk about the symptoms they're seized by a distaste of strange conversations. They incline by nature to melancholy. If they bear jokes or the slightest injuries or other petty inconveniences in the most unhealthy frame of mind, he goes on to talk about sadness, disturbed sleep, either wakeful or continuous, lack of strength, hunger, thirst, senses diminish, and there are even palpitations of the heart. And getting close to the end of his dissertation, he then gives very practical advice on how to transport the sick person or the nostalgic person home. The patient should be taken away, however weak and feeble, without delay. And then he says that the convalescent either in the journey itself or immediately after the return of the native land will, of course, completely recover. animal spirits. That's what Holfer concluded they were? Yeah, it sounds today crazy. Um, what he wrote was that these spirits are fixated um, on the native land in his words. And he described how the spirits are caught in this endless loop. They're unable to escape and, and do their vital duty of flowing through the body.
0: Wait a minute, What? So the, these spirits have to... what?
1: Yeah, their vital duty. I mean, that's how it's been translated from Latin. If they didn't break out of this endless loop, the person could die. Sounds like something Holfer might have made up. You have to understand the medical knowledge of the time. The body was divided into three anatomical regions. And each of these regions was considered to have its own soul or spirit. And the heart it was said or believed that the, the heart housed the vital spirits. And these vital spirits as they moved to the brain through the arteries turned into what Hofer called animal spirits. But it wasn't Hofer who defined them or described them as animal spirits. It was only a couple decades before Hofer came along that a doctor by the name of Thomas Willis uh, came up with his own theory. And it was really revolutionary. He was the first to usher in the modern era of neurology. And I suspect it was his scientific breakthrough that really influenced Hofer.
0: it well, sounds a bit like the stomachs of a, a cow. But anyway, what, what was so groundbreaking about Willis's
1: findings? He dissected animals and humans, and he looked at dissected brains. He was simply observing, or he simply saw, the network of arteries that supply our brain, and, using the language of the time... Guess what he called these um, nerve impulses? Animal spirits. You got it.
0: Okay, so Hofer wasn't completely crazy with his theory.
1: Not at all. And his idea to um, to cure a person who's homesick, um, that you have to return that person home, well, you know what? That's quite true, and I experienced that myself. He may, though, have overstated the consequences that you could actually die from homesickness. A fatal case of nostalgia. <laughs> What do we know for sure? I can only reiterate what uh, Christoph Studer told me. And what we do know is that about one in ten soldiers actually abandoned their regiments. They they just simply ran away. And homesickness um, was likely often the reason.
0: All right, so let's get back to the young soldier then, Peter. What do you think happened to him after he left Basel?
1: What I can imagine is that his homesickness is not so painful that he runs away. Um, I picture him marching on, following the Rhine River as it flows northwards, um, and eventually turns west to the lowlands of northern France. And I'd like to think that by the time he gets to a place called Sarbourg in the northeast corner of France, exactly where I became homesick, he too has that horrible feeling in the pit of his stomach and becomes homesick in the same place that it happened to me 300 years later.
0: And now, 300 years later, we've moved on from this concept of the animal spirits and their vital duty. But homesickness and nostalgia are still fascinating subjects. Coming up in the next and final part of our series on nostalgia.
4: Everyone knows what love is until they're asked to give a definition of it, then no one knows. That's the idea. And the same goes for nostalgia.
0: Join us again soon on The Swiss Connection to meet a modern-day researcher who is proving the benefits of nostalgia. And while it used to be just another word for homesickness, tune in to hear how our understanding of the emotion has changed. In the meantime, visit us at Swissinfo.ch to see the photos that Dale took of Johannes Hofer's dissertation. And please, subscribe to this show and send us your thoughts. You can find us in all the usual places for podcasts and on social media. Or send us an email at english at Swissinfo.ch. This episode was produced by me, Susan Masika, and Dale Bechtel, who also did the reporting for it. The music is by Michele Andina, who dug up the bamboo flute from his childhood for this episode. Our studio engineer here in Bern is Donnie Vehler. And wherever you are in the world, thanks for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode.
5: I'm Imogen folks from Swiss Info's Inside Geneva podcast. On February 24th, 2022, Russia attacked Ukraine. The invasion caused Europe's largest refugee crisis since World War II. And during the year-long conflict, tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people, soldiers and civilians have been killed. Over the past year, a number of episodes of Inside Geneva have looked at the heavy humanitarian toll of the war and its wider implications for the world. We've been joined by historians and international human rights experts to ask about the background to the invasion. We've talked to major UN aid agencies about how the war in Ukraine is impacting other humanitarian crises. And we've asked if sanctions or war crimes investigations can stop or at least limit this conflict. If you're particularly concerned by the war in Ukraine, do listen to these episodes. You can find Inside Geneva free to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google and all your usual podcast apps.